Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. for it. Touchdown! Who else? Stephon Diggs. And the Vikings draw first blood. All those backups, Billy Turner and Elijah Wilkinson, are going to be called upon. Heavy pressure on Simeon, trying to set the screen up. Able to get it away nicely. Rock Thomas going to go the whole way. Off the screenplay for 78 yards to the house. All right, Vikes and Jags practicing this week. Three more preseason games to go, and all kinds of Vikings coverage on 1500ESPN.com. The Purple Podcast is easily your best podcast resource, too, for daily conversations and discussions about your favorite football team, so check it out. All right, gentlemen, here's a question for you. Just Let's just have some fun with the uh, NFL standings. So we've done this exercise where you swap out playoff teams and Let's do it for division winners last year. Let's say there were, so there's four divisions in each conference, so eight divisions. Let's say all eight division winners from last year <laughs> fell by the wayside. So let's say there are eight new division winners in the NFL this year, which is hard to believe in some of them, like the AFC East. But you have to pick a new division winner for each division. Who would you pick? Do you want me to go through the entire thing right now? Sure. Or should yeah. we just do it by division? No, good. Okay. First of all, I sat down this morning uh, to do this exercise, and it was incredibly easy for I, seven of them. Like, and, really easy. And we should go through real quick. The, the division winners last year were Patriots, yep. Steelers in the AFC North, Jaguars in the AFC South, Chiefs in the AFC West, Eagles, Vikings, Saints via tiebreaker, and Rams yep. across the board. All right. And so in doing this, I found that aside from the AFC East, this came very, very easy to me. NFC East, I swap out, or swap in, I guess is the right term to use, Dallas. Okay. Dallas for the Eagles. NFC North, once again, not very hard. I swap out the Vikings and put in the Green Bay Packers. NFC South, it took me a couple seconds, I debated it, but I swapped in Atlanta and took out the Saints. And in the NFC West, and I think this very well might be true, actually, San Francisco uh, 49ers for the L.A. Rams. Mm -hmm. In the AFC, uh, in the West, Chiefs out, Chargers in as your division champions. In the AFC South, assuming that uh, Deshaun Watson stays healthy for an entire season, the Houston Texans take over the mantle held by the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2017. AFC North, Pittsburgh out, Baltimore in. And the only one that was really difficult to me, AFC East, in which I debated, hemmed and hawed, and thought to myself, this isn't going to happen. But 
I put in the New York Jets. Wow. I actually put in Buffalo at first, and then I'm like, no, 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 no. So I erased Buffalo with my pencil here and put in the New York Jets for the Patriots. And that's the only one where I'm like, this ain't going to happen, but I'll do it. Yeah. And then uh, who would you have in the AFC South again? You said the, the Texans? Yeah, if, if Deshaun Watson. Watson can play the entire year, and I think he's really, really good, I, I had the Texans for Jacksonville. So we actually match on six out of the eight divisions. The only two differences I had were the Colts and Andrew Luck healthy in the AFC South. I honestly think if he's back to being anywhere close to the old Andrew Luck, regardless of roster flaws and... Everything else, I think that's immediately an eight and eight team, and then go from there. If they steal a couple games and get to ten and six, if the Jaguars back off, there's really no team in that division that you say, "Oh, that's a twelve and four team." Right. I mean, nine and seven makes you feel pretty good in that division. And then in the NFC East, I said the Giants. I do think the Cowboys are going to be right there in playoff contention, and the Eagles too. But there's just something about Saquon Barkley and the last hurrah for. Empowered Eli Manning with a quarterback-friendly coach. And a competent coach, too. Yes. I mean, look what... Yeah, I can see that. I think if you're Eli Manning and you go from... Man, I just got... My my streak of consecutive, game, uh, consecutive games played in December last year gets snapped for Geno Smith. <laughs> this whole thing around me is crumbling. It's a disaster to... Oh, wait a second. They gave me another weapon offensively here in the draft, a huge weapon, mm-hmm. and one of the most quarterback-friendly offensive schemers in the NFL. I mean, they were 3-13 and last year and just an absolute disaster. I think they jump. I really do. So I'm going to say, and then I agree on the Jets. If you had to pick a team in the but that AFC one's a, East. that was really difficult. Yeah. I mean, the Bills have been competitive for a while, but... Tyrod Taylor was part of the reason why they were at least competent offensively. Nathan Peterman is competing for the starting quarterback job. That's all you need to know about Buffalo. Yeah. In Miami, who knows what Ryan Tannehill is. There was a time where Ryan Tannehill was like, oh, maybe this guy's going to be one of the top 10 to 12 quarterbacks in the league. And And I don't know if Gaze Gaze can coach. Like, I I think he's a good coordinator. I have no idea if if he's an actual head coach material yet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we agree on a lot of those. I'm... Here's there's one team in the NFC that I feel like everybody is writing off because of their trajectory the last couple of years, but I don't think you can write them off this easily. The Seattle Seahawks. I get that it's not the same team that mowed through the NFC for all those years, and the division's a lot tougher now because San Francisco was a doormat for a number of those years. But you still have Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll has not completely forgotten how to coach. You got Doug Baldwin. You've got pieces. It's not a perfect roster, but they went nine and seven with a lot of flaws last year. So I almost said Seattle in the NFC hmm. West, but I agree with you on San Francisco making a big jump. I think Seattle's de- defense takes a definite step or three backwards, and and I don't know if they have sufficiently addressed their line. Because you're, you're right, quarterback-wise, they're in great shape. It just feels weird, too. It feels it feels like Pete Carroll's probably in, in his last year there. And and it's this is a weird league in the sense that there are times where you start to to feel that you that you see teams like this unraveling, and I feel that they're there. It doesn't mean that they can't build up eventually and get good again, especially with Wilson a quarterback. Um, but I I also think I also think the confidence in the Rams is probably a little bit too high. Donald still is yeah. not in camp, and and listen, Jared Goff did a very nice job thanks to McVay last year, but there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to play the Rams this year that are going to be extremely prepared for them. And and the Vikings sort of gave you a blueprint, I think, especially if you sat down, let's say, in April, May, or June, 
and sort of dissected things. The Vikings gave you a little bit of a blueprint of how to beat Goff. I am not convinced the Rams are going to be as good as people think. Yeah, and the blueprint, excuse me, to beat Goff probably gets harder as he gets more experienced. I mean, part of that blueprint was just, hey, this dude has training wheels still because he's so young. And the older he gets, I mean, there was a time where Peyton Manning had training wheels. Oh, let's just confuse him at the line of scrimmage. So I don't know. Maybe that maybe that blueprint lasts with younger quarterbacks into their second, third year. Once you get past that on the seat, one last thing on the Seahawks. I think there's five quarterbacks in the NFL where if they're on your team for 16 weeks, regardless of the rest of your roster, you basically start at seven wins and then you build from there. And I think Russell Wilson's one of those five quarterbacks. I think it's if you have Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and maybe Ben Roethlisberger, too. If you have those five guys for 16 games, you can have a lot of things go wrong. Yeah, that's true. And you're seven and nine yeah. at worst. I mean, the, the Saints had an historically bad defense for three or four years. Yep. And they still went like seven and nine and eight and eight with Drew Brees I'm a, at the helm. I'm afraid in Wilson's case that eventually he's going to just get flat out hurt. Because of the way he plays, and they don't—they're—they're they're not putting a premium on that line year after year after year. It strikes me as odd. So I keep waiting for the year where he just gets hurt, and you know he's trying to scramble around or, or something. Um, so I think that's definitely a team in in my mind that's going to be in flux and and could get to that seven or eight win stage. But I think that's going to be about it for them this season. Yeah, that's fair. Football. It's San Francisco. I think San Francisco could be really good. I really like them. Football, yeah! Football! Football! Get some! Did they open the the gates for this Twins game yet? Oh, my God. They just showed a full stadium view of this game. Absolutely empty. Good God. Here's my question. In baseball's etiquette and rules and do's and don'ts, does Chris Archer... Throw at Rosario today because if you recall, that was the whole Tampa Bay thing, and Archer was livid. Yeah. You know what? I he think shouldn't, but I think if he were to throw at Eddie Rosario, it would have to be on behalf of the team that was mad at Rosario, right? But he's not on that team anymore. That's what I'm saying. So if, if how if, far do you take? If it? he throws at Eddie Rosario, it means it's just a personal, like egotistical vendetta, right? Absolutely. Not like our team is offended. Oh, Barrios and uh, Chris Archer in front of 30 fans will be really exciting. <laughs> I think Oakland drew more last night, and then they drew 10,000. I told you, free parking last night in Oakland. Just for last night? They yeah. Did, okay. Yeah, they did a special they do that promotion. for like the next three years. I want free parking in the ramp downtown. I'll hey, go to the game. I don't know. There's something about when Oakland randomly pops up with a roster that you've never heard of, and they do this like, they yeah. did this a few years ago, and they made a big trade. I can't remember who they traded for. Was it John Lester? John Lester. Yep, John yeah. Lester? We were at training camp. When Suspidus we trade. Yeah. And... I love it. I'm rooting for them. They get so inexplicably hot in the second half of the season sometimes. There's something about that organization when they all band together in their cesspool of Well, and that's the problem. House. And they draw 7,000. It was, uh, in fact, I think that on the same day that we were at Bradley's in Mankato, it was John Lester in the Cespedes trade and Samarja. Yeah. Addison Russell was traded, the prospect at the time, from Oakland to the Cubs because that, that was the year that the Cubs just sort of sucked. Mm-hmm. And they... And they got all those hot prospects. But they got two guys in, in one day. And didn't they have a big lead in Kansas City in the wild card game and lost it? Because the Royals went to the World Series that year. I think they lost. Yeah, that, yeah, that rings a I bell. I think Oakland had a lead on Kansas City in that game, at like five runs and lost the lead. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, I think that's accurate. 
so there are, yeah, there's a few people. Well, the Champions Club has a couple mm-hmm. stragglers in it. James, what kind of questions do you have for us today? <laughs> well, I've, I've heard this rumor that the uh, the Vikings offensive line has some holes, so we'll see if we can uh, we can fix that. Cool. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studio. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Murph is producing for us all week long and into the foreseeable future here. So you taught me to stop. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's been fun having you around. Thanks. It's I been think, fun. I think uh, your, your passion for Minnesota sports is coming through loud and clear. Sure. So... What kind of questions do you have for us today, Murph? All right, let's start. Let's start here. Um, so, Collar and, and and Judd talked about this in the nine o'clock hour, but I was interested to get your take on it too, Phil. Uh, Mike Zimmer gushed about rookie corner Mike Hughes, and Collar said in the nine o'clock hour of the show that he'd bet on Hughes being in the starting lineup to start the year with the depth in the defensive backfield. Would you entertain trading a piece of that plus plus uh, possibly a draft pick to shore up the offensive line before the regular season starts? Yes, I would consider it. I would start with a draft pick first because ideally you wouldn't you wouldn't you don't want to take away from the best defense in the NFL and the depth of the best defense in the NFL if you don't have to. If you could get a starting caliber offensive lineman for like a second round pick, honestly, if there was a I don't know. If any team is willing to offer an absolute borderline Pro Bowl caliber offensive line, I would give up a first round pick if it meant being able to sleep at night as a head coach or a general manager that this thing isn't going to derail the rest of a great roster. That it's not going to derail two of the best receivers in the NFL, a $30 million quarterback, the number one defense. So I would, I would start with a draft pick if you had to give up, I don't know, Mackenzie Alexander or something. I mean, if you could get away with trading Mackenzie Alexander for a starting caliber guard, I think you'd do it. But also knowing that you've just sold low on a guy who was very highly touted and who's coming along, and you've taken away from your depth. But I, I think you, yes, you're you're not as worried about 2021 right now as you would be if you're the New York Jets. You're worried about December and January and February. So maybe you trade from a place of depth and you cross your fingers and you hope in order to make sure the offensive line doesn't derail everything. Uh, You are not going to get uh, both a decent defensive back and a draft pick from me. You can get one. I am loath to, as Phil said, I am loath to trade depth for for my defensive backfield because those guys are are hard to find. And I'm going to assume that Xavier Rhodes, who got banged up on a gamely basis last year, or Waynes or someone is going to get hurt. Uh, So... Realistically, to answer your question, James, my answer is no, because I will trade you a draft pick. I'll trade you a draft pick, and nobody nobody at this point is going to trade a, a almost Pro Bowl offensive guard because those guys are so hard to find and replace at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you could get it, you could get a guy like that in, let's say, May or June. So, um, depending on what you're going to trade me, I might trade you a pretty damn good draft pick, but you're, you're not going to go into my decent depth in the defensive backfield as well. Yeah, I agree with you guys, and I think that you're going to probably overspend on trading for an offensive lineman at the end of the the preseason anyway, just because it's not like every pretty much no team has good offensive line depth. You have your five starters, and most teams aren't sure about that, and then you got guys who you can just throw in there. So it's not like some team has three starter-level players stocked away on the bench. So you're probably going to overpay even for a mediocre lineman. But Is it possible, too, this—so we, for— 
an entire year leading up to last year when they drafted Pat Elfline, we absolutely destroyed Rick Spielman for going 10 years and only drafting three offensive linemen over a decade period in the in the first round uh, three rounds of the draft. Mm-hmm. And then we got off his case because he signed two big free agents and drafted it. Like he, it was like, oh, okay, well, if he, now he's addressed offensive line. But there were still depth issues and there's still erosion and and we're seeing that sort of come to the surface here. And there was an aging Joe Berger at the time that this was happening too. Right. And they went kind of back to their old ways and they didn't draft high offensive linemen. They went in and said, all right, we're good. We did that one, one year we went out and we were really aggressive with offensive linemen and now we're good again. Let's go back to some of these other positions and maybe this should have doubled up back to back drafts going in on the offensive line. But if Mike Hughes is a, this is validation for that. If Mike Hughes is starting from week one and he's this stud cornerback, it kind of validates their decision to say, God, man, Will Hernandez, man, he'd be awesome. But if, if Mike Hughes is a franchise island cornerback at some point, or at least even a starting caliber cornerback from week one, then it validates their decision to take him in their minds. I agree. Miguel Sano hit a two-run home run last night in, in last night's victory over Pittsburgh. In his 15 games since returning from his stint in the minor leagues, he's added 23 points to his batting average and in general has just been having much more competitive at-bats. Is Miguel Sano back? Uh, no, no, he's not, but, but he's on track to get back, which is, which is great because this is an all-star player. And this is a guy, unlike Buxton, who very much in the palm of his hand has the decision to make, do I want to be an all-star player or not? Mm-hmm. I think the three months spent mostly in Florida uh, and at the end in Rochester, though, are an eye-opener. And as I asked Dan Hayes, I can only hope that it's not just a short-term burst, that it's now, uh, oh my gosh, I almost lost what could be a great career, and now that I've got a second chance, I'm going to be back and take it seriously. Uh, so is he back completely? Absolutely not. Is he on track to be back to the player that, that he should be in 2019, which is an incredibly productive player who, yes, strikes out, but can play third base as well. At least he's on that track. The decision, though, and the most important thing is this, it remains up to him. Oh. Can I answer that question with a question of my own? Can you be back if, if you had never arrived to begin with? Because I don't think he ever arrived to begin with. He was, he's, he was he, an all-star, though. He had a splash in his rookie year. He had a good first half last year. But I think in terms of long-term sustainable health and success and and taking pride in your job and taking it seriously and playing a good, solid defensive third base long-term, I mean, he's never really arrived at that level. He's had good spurts. He's had a couple really good, powerful uh, first half over here, second half when he was called up for the first time ever. So is he back to maybe close to the level that he was at the beginning of last year? Okay, he's definitely trending in that direction. But we need even more than that if we're going to crown him this cornerstone franchise player going forward. But he's so. on track now to, to potentially be that player. And four months ago, that guy was nowhere to be found, yep. at least. It's definitely, so he's it, on the right track. It's in a better spot right now. I'm kind of, you know, from what you were saying earlier when we had Dan Hayes on, I'm not ready just to say, oh, nice, you had a nice little month stretch there. I'm going to crown you. Dude, this isn't, this is a long play. This is a, t- Miguel Sano is a 10 year play for the Minnesota Twins. He's not a, oh, whew, we sent him down to A-ball for a few weeks, and now he's back, hit a couple home runs over a month stretch. No, dude, this is your life. This is your craft. Yep. And if you want to take this seriously, then we can talk about Miguel Sano as a 32-year-old Twins player um, in almost a decade from now. But uh, So in a roundabout way, like 
yes, he's back to being productive enough to where you feel comfortable with him in the lineup, but he's never arrived at the level that we all expected from the day that he started popping up in the minor leagues when he was 18 years old. So I've got I've got lofty expectations for him. He needs to Let's just say this, if he continues to hit well and and right now he looks good, if I'm the Twins, I am bringing up his name in off-season trade talks. Yeah. For sure. Because you're going to I don't trust him yet. You have to decide. He's going to have, what, like three years left of team control or yeah. whatever it is. You're going to have to decide what do you trust more, him to be part of your five to ten year plan into his 30s, or if you don't believe that, this is probably, if he continues to have a good second half, this is probably the peak value with three, maybe three years left on his deal. And some team would look and say, oh, man, we'll take a guy under team control for several years and give you something really valuable and in return. And down, and, and he looks good, and, and potentially hit in September. Mm-hmm. And if I'm the Twins, if I'm the Twins, I, I think the most important thing that you do in the next month is you sit down and make a decision. Is this real or is this short-term? And if mm-hmm. it's short-term, you try and sell teams on the fact that he's found mm-hmm. God and he's a different man. And, so, you know, some. Is that a thing? Has he has he like literally said he's found no, God? No, 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 no. Okay, I'm saying he's found God in, in the sense that he's found he's found who he should be. But you might not believe that he's watching Joel Osteen on the weekends, just taking batting practice. He's walking on coals now. You didn't know that. <laughs> the one last thing I would say on that subject is, if he's not a third baseman, let's say he's a third baseman. They de- they determine that this offseason he's a he's a first baseman. That he's less valuable as a first baseman, and the Twins have a lot of guys who are sort of corner outfield. Brent Rooker might be a first baseman. Brent yeah. Rooker's a corner outfielder, but if they've already got Max Kepler and Trevor Larnick on the way at some point, and Alex Kirilov, and they want to keep some of these guys, and they want to they want to have they got Rosario in one corner, and they've got uh, Kepler in another, and they want to find room for some of these guys. Well, these guys can play first base in DH. So you, if you can play third base, now all of a sudden, okay, well there's. Very few people in the organization who can play third base at close to a major league. That's a big. That's a big thing to watch the next five weeks too, mm-hmm. six weeks, whatever. Phil Miller of the Star Tribune offered this tweet yesterday regarding the Twins roster. Uh, even in an age of roster turnover, this year's Twins stand out. September call-ups figure to break 2017's record for most players used, and perhaps the uniform budget as well. Um, in the last or since 2011, they've used more than 44 players every single year. And last year, they set the record, the franchise record, with 52. They're at 49 right now, and obviously, we have September call-ups, so oh, they're looking. Yeah, that's, yeah, they're looking like they're going to get over that. So, my question for you guys: Who are some of your favorite obscure twins? In the in the past like ten years, who maybe were on the who maybe were on the team for a year to two years tops, and I made a list, and wow. it was the most fun I've had in a, in a while making this list. That sounds this. like a Mackie and Judd Rankum when we come back. Let's do that. All right, obscure twins. I gotta start looking at rosters again. There's so many of them. An obscure twins name off on the horizon. Twins are playing right now. Jose Barrios pitching to the Pirates here in the top of the second inning. Runner on first, one out for the Pirates, 0-2 count to Diaz. No score right now. Let's talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota for a moment and the National Toyota Clearance Event. So with fall approaching here, that means 2019 models are also approaching the various lots. And that means great deals for you on 2018 Toyotas, great financing opportunities 
leasing options. I've seen a lot of no money down leases on RAV4s and Corollas and Camrys just perusing around the website, but 0% APR financing opportunities. This is a really, really good time to get into a brand new vehicle as, let's be honest, Luther Brookdale Toyota is trying to make some room. And so you benefit. Stop in, open until 9 o'clock tonight, go into that showroom and say hi to Paula, say hi to everyone. The service area is the best in the Twin Cities. They've given my family and I peace of mind for a long, long time, and they've bailed us out of some jams as well when we thought, oh, man, this car is this car might be bleeped. Luther Brookdale Toyota always has our back. You can get the same experience. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I think there's some intelligence in that commentary. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Ah, Twins down one nothing. Pirates just had... It was a little a little bleeder up the middle, and Polanco makes a great play on the second base side. Uh, he's playing shortstop, spins and fires. Looks like Adrianza's playing first and couldn't scoop it. Adrianza playing first base. Hey, you today. got your win last night. Don't get greedy. My God, you get your split against the uh, Pirates. They're pretty good. Uh, so Twins are down one to nothing. Runners on the corners now for the Pirates, who are paper cutting Jose Barrios. It's, all, it's all Falvey's fault. If he had just not decimated this roster, this team would be up one nothing. They today. were ten games back. I don't know why what they were thinking. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, how could they do that to this team? You imagine like walking through life with that lack of self awareness that <laughs> you haven't even really played well, all year, and you walk in Irvin Santana and survey the carnage. I can't pick on Doge because I saw that that he was uh, taken out of the the Dodgers game on Monday with a uh, with a heart issue potentially. Yeah. So I can't pick on Doge right now, but uh, I'll be more than happy to pick on Irv. Yeah, <laughs> I can pick on him. His heart's fine, as far as I know. All right, ask that que- the third question again there, James. Because we've been down we've done been down a rabbit hole here during the commercial break. So yeah, I it was it came from a Phil Miller tweet about uh, all the players the twins have used this year. They're three away from breaking their own record they set last year of uh, of players used at fifty two, and obviously we still have September call ups. Yeah. So my question to you guys was uh who are your some of your favorite obscure twins from the past and, and I just went back 10 years and we can uh we can do this too. No. Twins wow. compete. We like rankings. Phil and Judd rank them on 1500 ESPN. Uh, There's too many to rank. So Judd and I approach this in different ways. Sure. Judd has been scouring uh, the rosters for obscure names which <laughs> is perfectly too. acceptable, okay? That's what I did. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I literally during the break wrote down the first 7 obscure twins players that popped into my head. I just went I went meditation mode. I went dark. I said, the first seven obscure twins' names that pop in your head. Who are those players? Are you guys ready? Yeah. In no particular order. Go ahead. Bobby Karecki. Pitcher, right? Like relief yes, pitcher? Yes. 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 Okay. I, in fact, if you guys oh. can yeah, if you can name the position, then we'll get points. In. Yeah. Matt Kinney. Another pitcher. James, do you remember Matt Kinney? No. Do you, have, do you know where you born again? 93. Okay. Was he like Kinney was like 2001? Okay. I got, bad, I got bad news for you when it comes to Matt Kinney, who, who I actually saw in person start a game in, in the old Yankee Stadium. If you look this up, he came from the Brewers in a trade. Yeah. And then, and then they, they traded him maybe to the Blue Jays or you something. Know how no, much, no, no, his, his debut came against the Blue Jays. Why, why, am, why, I wa- I know why am I wasting brain space knowing where Matt <laughs> Kinney came from? Honest to God, I would have graduated college if I had used my brain correctly. Jay Cannizzaro? Uh, utility infielder. 
That na- I recognize that name. I just don't remember who that is. Around the same time period as Matt Kinney. They may have played I together. I think he might have replaced or been around the same time as uh, Jeff Rebele, if I'm not mistaken. So he might have been late 90s? Well, Todd Walker replaced Jeff Rebele, right? Or Rebele was just a utility guy. Yeah. Right? So nobody yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody can replace Canizar- Jeff Rebele. And Canizaro, I think, might have come from the San Francisco Giants. Jeff Rebele, by the way, <laughs> against this too. Um, all right. Brian, so this, this is the, the most obscure... The, First seven obscure Twins players that popped in my head when you asked this question. Yeah. Brian Bass. Hold on. Brian Bass. I don't know who that is. Wait, wait. I'll, I'll, I'll come full circle. Wait, wait, wait. You want a position though, right? Yep. Brian Bass. Was he a pitcher? Yes! Brian Bass. Okay. He also pitched for the Orioles a short time after. I'm sure he did. When you said Brian, I thought you were going to go Brian Dinkelman. Which oh, uh, dude. that's a great oh one, God. Dinkelman. <laughs> Dinkelman. Uh, Dinkelman is he now coaching or ma- managing one of their minor league teams? I think he's still in the organization. I don't think he Dinkelman. left. I think he might be a coach. These next two, you're gonna know who they are because they're more recent. Anthony Slama and Alex Burnett both popped into my Old head. Pictures, wow. yeah. And Anthony Slama, I still stand by this take. <laughs> the, <laughs> dude, the dude never received a fair shake. Yeah. He was. Crazy lights out in the minors, and they just thought, I don't think it's the. What bothered me is the twins said, This guy's yeah, this guy's got a one and a half ERA over five years in the minors, but we don't think his stuff plays in the bigs. It's like, well, I don't know, maybe let him, maybe let him show that. He was stuck as the closer in AAA for about four years, yes. and <laughs> yes, he just never, never got up. And then the, the seventh name that popped into my head was a guy who I believe nicknamed himself at one point. This would have been late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. J.D., the real deal Durbin. Oh, yeah. Pitcher. Yes. He had lights out stuff at one time, just not in the major leagues. I'm pretty sure he named himself the real deal. Well, I'm sure he had. And maybe he was the real deal in double A, but not when he got to the major leagues. Did he get, and I, I say this with all due respect, if not, did he get suspended for steroids at one point? I think so. Yeah, I think that's fair to, fair to pursue. The real. The real deal. Well, that's why it was the real deal. <laughs> he made himself into the real deal. Reckless speculation. Yeah, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> I, I don't want to accuse him of being on steroids if he wasn't for sure, but I seem to recall he might have got pinched. Reckless speculation. <laughs> All right, what what are your obscure twins rankings? Or who are the ones that... It's not even rankings. I'm just going through... So I went back to 2015, just going through pitching, going through bullpens. So basically, oh, not even starters. A couple starters here and there. 2015, though, I just found four names. J.R. Graham, who came from Atlanta Rule 5, I believe, who, who they loved and put up with all season long, despite the fact he was awful. He threw like 98, but right down the middle, and I just remember someone taking him deep for a grand slam when they put him in for some reason. Yeah. That, that's my old, he that's also my He also was sort of fat and chubby in 2015 and came back to, tr- to spring training in 2016. Lost just chiseled. Chiseled. Yeah. Yeah, didn't matter. Was he? I do, and I do not say this to make fun, but he wore the socks high because yep. his his mom or grandmother, his mother was like blind, blind or, or not yeah. fully blind. Yeah, but, but they could see the socks. And then the obvious up. joke that I believe Patrick Royce told, I, I never take credit for this, is maybe you should put the socks down so that you're, <laughs> no one so recognizes you. So mean spirited, uh, Aaron. But, it, but I would never tell that joke. Aaron Thompson. I don't even remember. Left Aaron hand oh, yeah. long hair. He got yep. popped for. I think he got popped. <laughs> for too. I'm pretty sure. Not 100 percent sure. Speculation. 
uh, Caleb Thielbar? No, uh, Aaron Thompson wasn't performance enhancers. <laughs> it was it was weed. It was weed. We'd like to apologize to Aaron Thompson. You didn't do you didn't do steroids. You did you did dope. Like, I think it was weed. Your yeah. mind on drugs in Colorado, you would have been fine. Uh, Caleb Thielbar. He's yeah. not super obscure though, right? Because he's he pitched for the Saints too. I guess. <laughs> He's a Minnesota like, did yeah. you just say he's not super obscure because he pitched for the Independent League team? <laughs> the minute that came out of my mouth, I... I mean, people knew him really well. He pitched at uh, Midway Stadium all the time. Uh, 2016, Fernando Abad. Wow. Who went to the Red Sox. He's a bad man. Neil Ramirez. He was a bod left-handed pitcher for the Twins. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was very bod. I, I one time... I, th- I think you were... Oh. Weren't you with me? We were at... Uh, that Hooters knockoff Twin Peaks in Fort Myers a couple years ago with yeah. our buddy from the Red Sox. And he was there. And Fernando Abad was in a booth just like a couple tables down with, with um, Hanley. Hanley Ramirez. Hanley and a was there. <laughs> yeah, we partied with Fernando Abad. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That Twin Peaks in Fort Myers. Yeah, you love seeing us. I wonder why I was named that. I still don't know. <laughs> I I have to go through this list I have here. Just some yeah, of, the, go ahead. Some go of ahead. these this names. So great. A lot of these are from like 2011, 2012. Renee Tassoni. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Jason Repco. Oh my goodness. Matt Tolbert. I know Matt Tolbert was your guy. Or Matt, Luke Hughes. Matt Tolbert emerged from obscurity because they kept playing him for like three years. <laughs> Luke Hughes was not obscure. I, I hate to tell you that, but when you call out Royce, you're not completely obscure. Is uh should have been. Is Scott Diamond obscure? No, no. He's, he's reached no. like legendary status, no, man. Scott that Dim- guy had one awesome season. Scott Diamond was a staple. Um Cole DeVries. Cole's a local guy. I wouldn't, and, and he pitched for the Gophers, so yeah, that's he, true. He's recognizable. He's still now. mean Prairie. He lives in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Yep. Samuel Deduno. That's oh, a good sudden one. Sam. Yeah, we'll put that one in there. Yeah. That rises to the level. This is another one where they just played him a bunch. Brendan Harris. Brendan Harris probably played for three years, but I would never remember another him. Another Roy- guy who called another him. Roy- <laughs> You want to come to the airport and fight? That was my favorite tweet. Yes. And then the twins, uh, just, twins just tied at 1-1. Miguel Sano was on third base. And Logan Forsyth against his old teammate, Chris Archer, with a little, little single He's to been pretty good. Since like, um, and yeah. then the last two were just, uh, they, they had been prominent other places, but you, you would almost forget they played here. Joe Creedy and Mike Lamb. Wow. Both third basemen, right? Yeah. Mike Lamb had played for they, the They're Ast- back-to-back years. Lamb was here Astros, in two, right? 2008, and then 2009 was uh, Joe Creedy. Yeah. Joe Creedy's back had just completely gone up by then. Yeah, Joe Creedy had one really good first half of power for the Twins, but couldn't play a full season. I'm not going to throw anyone specific under the bus for this, because it's a reg- this is 10 years ago, and it's a regime that has been now morphed into a new regime. But I remember when a lot of teams were first, this is probably, this is right before they, or right after they had signed Mike Lamb or... Somewhere in there, like 2009 after they signed Lamb. And Mike Lamb was a flop, right? He didn't work out. And uh, here's another obscure one. You know who took over for Mike Lamb? I'm pretty sure it was Brian Busher <laughs> in the second half of that season. And I when, remember... When was Tony Batista here? He was another third base. Right? 06? Yep. St- it was Batista and Jason Castro started the 06 season, and then they got rid of both of them and put Bartlett and Punto over there, thus... Spawning the piranhas and this is the grossest season. conversation I've ever had. It's amazing, we're, but we're so <laughs> no. deep into it. No, it's fun. So I remember having a conversation one time. This is in the middle of the sabermetric blossoming in front offices, and the A's had been into advanced analytics for a number of years, and the the Dodgers, and so there's a bunch of teams in the Red Sox that already won a couple World Series by going deep dive analytics, right? And the Rays were had popped up and went to the World Series. 
And I remember asking someone one time in an interview from the Twins front office, you know, where do you guys stand with advanced analytics and saber metrics and, you know, in this sort of arms race for information? And the answer back was, well, we're absolutely, we look at numbers. You know, we looked at Mike Lamb and his batting average on the road last season. I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's quite what the Red Sox are doing. It was really good, so we yeah. thought he'd, he'd be great. Let me run. Let me run through the utility players uh, from Baseball Reference for the 2014 Twins because this is simply a goldmine. Wow, that's not even that long ago. I know it's not, but Chris Parmalee. Wow, Chris Calabello. There's one. That's yeah. right there. Josmiel Pinto. That's another yeah. one. I Sa- saw Sam oh, Fold. <laughs> Sam Fold. <laughs> Sam Fold. Had, didn't he have that one amazing season with, was it the A's or the Oakland. Rays? Yeah, he was just like diving catches yes. all and the time. And then Oakland, I think, got Super him back Sam. from the Twins. Yeah. yeah. Jordan Schaefer. Jordan Schaefer. Jordan Schaefer. Pedro Florian. Eric oh, Fryer. Chris Eric Herman. Fryer. Darren Mastriani, who Who's... now drinks with me at Bunny's. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Bernier. Doug Bernier. Doug Bernier. Bernier. Get it sorry, right. sorry. Doug Bernier. And uh, and that was the year where they also brought back the clubhouse chemistry duo of Jason Bartlett and Jason Cooper. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Hey Bob, you're on Mackie and Judd. Hey, you guys remember a gentleman? I think his real name was John Bonser. Booth Bonser. Yes, of course we do. The shirt. In fact, does that, does in that fact, qualify for obscurity? Perhaps not, because it, I think he had a modicum of success. He he had a couple nice stretches. The most memorable thing I ever uh, could thought of about Booth Bonzer, Judd knows the story. There was a game at Target Field with a proposal that took place in the third deck, and the guy proposing to his what I think now is probably ex girlfriend was wearing an Oakland A's Booth Bonzer jersey. <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Very oh, good. Kate, oh, all right. Uh, awesome. I I, if I missed it, I tuned it a little late today. So, gentlemen, oh, no. sorry. But, uh, you didn't miss it. Boof Bonzer. Boof Bonzer. Katie Thanks, Bob. tweets in Terry Tiffy. Oh, God. And then via, via uh, text from my friend Brian, Kelvin Torrey, who struck out in his first major league at bat versus Dennis Eckersley. Yeah. Wow. This, is a, this is such a great exercise. I saw one time, I think it was a, I think it was at, U.S. Cellular Field in Chicago covering a Twins game when I was on the beat in like 2011. And there was a guy, I don't know how he got into the press box, but he had a credential. And he was wearing jorts, sandals with socks up to his calves, and a Terry Tiffy (laughs) Dodgers jersey. (laughs) What? Yes. That sounds like a bizarre dream or nightmare. And Terry Tiffy was with the Dodgers for a while. Did you see, uh, I, yeah. I think Patrick, it was, it was Patrick who tweeted that he saw someone with a Vance, Wor- a Vance Worley jersey or something. The Vanimal. That's another nickname I believe he gave him. I, that's another self-nickname. I think you're right. The Vanimal. Can you be the Vanimal when you have a 9 ERA after 10 games? <laughs> no. I don't know. Okay. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. Yeah, Mike did very well for the first time out. Um, You know, we were talking about some of our other corners that, you know, we had their first game out was a little bit different uh, compared to his. I thought he played really well, Um, made a a couple nice tackles, the, the deep ball on on our sideline down there, he covered it 
I thought he was going to intercept it. Uh, he may blitz one time when he was at the nickel and uh, tackled the tackled the running back from behind. Um, so he did a lot of really good things. It was, it was uh, a good step in the right direction. Mike Zimmer talking about football on our obscure twins discussion. Our guy Jake DePew, formerly known as Curse of Punto, says Eric Kamatsu has to be part of this conversation as an obscure twin. There are, yes. there is a delicious, delicious history that now includes 2018, I believe, of outfielders who you forget about, and you know as you're watching them that within three years yeah. it's going to be who was that guy in 2018 that came up and played a bunch of games for the Twins. Yeah. Who who was the guy they got from Detroit? Was it Cleet Thomas? Cleet Thomas. Like Cleet Thomas, Clee Thomas is, is crazy, in that crazy uncle who would tweet at all of the Minnesota media figures. And Clee was Why a, did you talk more about Cleet? Cleet had a double last night. Cleet was sort of an what odd. What about Cleet? Cleet was odd too. Cleet would give you I remember talking to Cleet once about the caroms off off the various facades in right field at Target Field. And Cleet sort of had that look like I'm listening to your question but I'm thinking about killing you. <laughs> Like I looked at Cleet. Do you in the get eye. that a lot with people? No, no. I was looking at Cleet talking to Cleet, and you know, ordinarily the athlete reporter conversation, the play, the person's eyes that you're t- talking to sometimes will be sort of glazed over. Like I don't really care, and yeah, I'll answer your question. But Cleet you, it sounds that, like you're doing a great job of connecting with the subject. Cleet had sort of that wild-eyed look, like I'm, I'm really sort of afraid of you right now. But I'm going to ask you about the caroms. At what, Target Field. what will go down as the more dark and obscure era of Twins baseball? This is probably not a question for James because he was born in the middle of the dark period. The mid-90s into the late 90s, so from 1994 through, because they were still sort of competitive until about 94. From the day the lockout started, and basically. Then, yep, through 2000. Yep. Or 2011, the bilateral leg weakness season where they lost 99 all the way through the last, I don't know. Like two years ago. I think it's got to be 94 to um, 99, don't you? Because it was in the Metrodome. It was, you know, as as disappointing as 2011 on has been or was, you were still in target field, and you're like, okay, the team stinks, but there was no but in 1996. Yeah. You were in a garbage stadium with, for the most part, a garbage team. You felt bad for Tom Kelly. But I think the I think the memory, right or wrong, for me will always be the Metrodome years. I think you're right about the stadium because your 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 memories of 1997 Twins baseball are there are 4,000 people in here right now. It's just it's 70 and sunny outside on a Sunday, and I'm in here watching. I remember watching the Eric Milton no hitter on that Sunday. It was actually September 11th of 1999, Saturday morning actually. Yep. Yep. And uh, yep, and it Saturday morning. And it's even that it's like hey, you're in a Teflon. Well, and and that was the era where they had to be done by a certain time so goal for football could start on time that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you think about it, in fact, I remember Gardenhire did, didn't he go ballistic finally about that? I think Gardy, I think they suspended a Twins game that started at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning because it had gone, it had broke curfew for the Gopher football game. Yeah. And Gardy melted, completely melted down. Yeah. We have a professional baseball team yes. here. It's absurd. And yes. we're sharing a lease with a college team. I just saw the standings too. Oakland is now one game back of Houston. James brought so that Oakland's up. Oakland's yeah. no longer, oh, nope. uh, competing for a wild card nope. spot. No, they might win the division. Yeah. And Houston got swept in four games over the weekend by Seattle. Yeah. So and Seattle. I think Cano's back now too. Yep, but he's not eligible for the playoffs. Correct. So he's just he's Seattle's playing, kind of a he's playing first duck. base for them. Yeah, because they're not, not going to move Gordon back to uh, center field, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So 
That's a that's a wrap on our twins obscure twins conversation. I think we're good for one of those one, at once every few months. It's really, it's, it's, so it's cathartic fun. to go through and get, well, get to your truth as a baseball franchise. And I get got, to your Jay Canizero truth. And I've it. got my teams because when when I I started to follow the Twins in '78, there's that period there where it's the same type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like those teams were just hopeless, darkness, just absolutely hopeless. But they but when you're young, in a sick morbid way, it's sort of fun. Cause you love, cause you still love the team, mm-hmm. like Ron Jackson. I you're love oblivious. him. Yeah, you Larry have, Wolf. I love Larry Wolf. And you haven't seen enough baseball when you're a kid to recognize, oh, this guy sucks. Right, this guy's. Well, you're terrible. just like that's a big leaguer. Yeah, exactly. Mike Cubbage is a big league third baseman. Yep. My first ever autograph as a kid was at Wrigley Field. My grandma lived in Chicago, so we would go to Wrigley Field, and it was Mike Scanlon, just a random reliever for the Cubs. He was having he was a setup guy for the Cubs, having a good year, but. I was just happy that a baseball player in a Cubs uniform signed a baseball. I remember Mike Scanlon really well. That's really, really scary. (laughs) Early 90s fantasy baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. All right. Uh, Twins up 2-1 to right now in the top of the third inning. Mackie and Judd, find our podcast anywhere you would find podcasts. 1500ESPN.com is a good place to start. Back tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley. On 1500 ESPN. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.